Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, beginning in verse number one. I'm going to read this aloud. I invite you to read this there in your seat silently. And um, let's look here at what the Bible says this morning. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here in your house this morning. And Lord, we pray now as we come to this time of of diving into your word that you would teach us, Lord, you would expose the truth to our hearts and help us, Lord, to respond accordingly. Lord, I I come before you, Lord, as your servant, and I ask that you would fill me and guide me as I preach this morning. We love you, Jesus, and Lord, we pray for that one soul who, Lord, you've already begun that work of convicting and drawing them to yourself that today would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and all the honor and glory because you alone are worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanna preach today on this topic, the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel. Now, when you hear that word, gospel, what what comes to your mind? When you hear the word gospel, what comes to your mind? Due to how we tend to use the word in the United States, you may think of the word gospel as synonymous with truth. Someone may say something like, Susie takes everything that Jimmy says as gospel, which can be taken to mean she believes everything he says is truth. Or someone may say something like this, Chick-fil-A has the best chicken and that's the gospel truth. Two things that are interesting about that statement. One, it's completely true. And two, we are using gospel here to be taken to mean that this place, Chick-fil-A, the Lord's chicken is in fact the best chicken. Amen and glory to God. (laughs) Now, there may be some merit here to this understanding of the word gospel, but it's not how the word was originally used. If you trace the etymology of the word gospel all the way back to its inception, it goes back to ancient times, specifically to the days of the Greco-Roman empires. It's originally a Greek word, uh, euangelion. It was one of my favorite Greek words. And it literally all it means is good news or news that brings great joy. And what would happen is when the Greeks or the Romans would win a decisive battle, they would send a messenger back to the homeland to boldly and happily declare the gospel or the good news of the victory. This is what happened in what they say was the very first marathon ever run when uh, the Greeks were fighting the Persians and the, the gentleman ran from Marathon back to Athens, he preached the euangelion, the good news of the Grecian victory, and then he died. That's, uh, the, the first, that's an instance of the euangelion, the good news. So fundamentally, the gospel is just good news. Now, in spring of 2011, a man named Max Melitzer, he received some gospel, some very good news. He was a 60-something, mild-mannered man who had been homeless in Salt Lake City, Utah, for four years. His brother had recently passed away after a long battle with cancer, and he left Max, quote, a significant amount in his will. 
private investigator David Lundberg tried to find Max for months, and he eventually tracked him down to a place called Pioneer Park there in Salt Lake City. He sat Max down and delivered the news. Max's brother had left him a significant amount of money, somewhere north of $100,000. According to Time Magazine, Melitzer no longer had to worry about living on the streets or in abandoned storage sheds. He could have a roof over his head, provide for himself, purchase clothing, and in general, take care of himself. His whole life changed thanks to a little bit of good news. And friend, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we will discover today has the power to completely change your life forever. The apostle Paul, he says in Romans that the gospel is the power of God. And he's actually the author of 1 Corinthians. He's been writing to a church that has been struggling. They're just messed up. And at the end of this book, after saying what he wants to say, he, he's closing his letter and he says there in verse one, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. I have been telling you all this, all this stuff, Corinthian church, but above all else, I want to end with the good news. I want to end with the gospel. And he explains what the gospel is powerful to do. In verse one, he explains that they receive the gospel and it is in the gospel that they stand. They find their life forever transformed because they accepted the gospel as true. And now before God, they're found to be standing in the truth of the gospel. In verse two, he says that they're saved by the gospel. And the Greek words there, ye are saved, the structure of those words indicate that this is a present action. This is happening right Now, so he's saying you were saved when you received the gospel, you are secure in your standing in the gospel. And now that that's true, you're daily being saved or the theological term would be sanctified, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ by the gospel. He's letting his audience know that the gospel is continually changing and transforming their lives. But this leaves us asking a question. What is the gospel? What is the good news that Paul is preaching that has such incredible power to not only transform your today, but your forever? And in the verses ahead of us this morning, we find Paul answering that question. And I want us to answer one question together today. And I have have it for you on the screens this morning. And it's this, has the good news of Jesus Christ transformed your life? Has the good news of Jesus Christ transformed your life? So as we look at the next several verses, I want us to discover, and maybe for some, for the very first time, the good news of the gospel. First of all, we learn the good news of the gospel provides a substitute for sin. Look at verse number three. It says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The message of the gospel opens with a very sobering truth. Christ died for our sins. We see here the substitute. Who is the substitute? It's Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied this coming substitute in Isaiah 53. He said, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, is our substitute. But we also see the extent of his substitution. It says Christ died. Jesus was brutally beaten, given a crown of thorns, nailed to a cross to die as our substitute. John 19 records it this way. Then Pilate took, therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. It's amazing, historically speaking, that Christ survived the scourging. But he did for you. Luke 23 says, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. After hanging on the cross for several hours, the Bible says this, when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He died. In your place, the death, you, you should die. But why? Look at the rest of the verse. It says, Christ died for our sins. Christ did not die in your place because he, there was no better option. But that's also true. Christ did not die in your place because you had something great to give to him. Christ did not die in your place because it seemed the thing to do for you to like him. Christ died in your place because your sin had offended him. Christ died in your place because nothing you could do could ever pacify the wrath of God. According to 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression, is the breaking of God's law. And everyone in the room, if you're upright and breathing today, everyone in the room is a sinner. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, he penned these words, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Not a single person. And the Bible makes it very, very clear. Jesus died in your place to pay the price for your sin. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we deem, did esteem him smit, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And in verse 10, this very interesting verse, it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. First John 3 says this, and ye know that he, speaking of Jesus Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. First John 4 says, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big theological term that simply means the satisfactory payment for our sins. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Because of your sin, Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. Because of your sin, Jesus Christ was bruised by his father. Because of your sin, Jesus died. No matter how great you think your sin may be or how small you believe your sin is, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Friend, there are not enough words in the human vocabulary to capture the amazing reality of Jesus being our substitute. The innocent sacrificed willingly for the guilty. The just murdered for the unjust. It's the greatest scandal in all of human history. God died in the place of man. Creator died for creation. Why? Because God, he wanted to demonstrate, he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is no greater news in all of the world for a sinner bound in the depths of their own sinfulness. The news that Christ died for our sins brings great comfort to the sinner because the death of Christ on our behalf is the only way to have all of our sins forgiven and have eternal life. Are you burdened down by your sin? Do you feel the guilt and weight of your sinfulness crushing you each day? Take heart. Christ died for your sins. He loves you. He died for you. And he offers the forgiveness of sins to you through his death on the cross. Listen, if you're here today and you're not a sinner, you can pass on the gospel. But if sin has wrecked and ruined your life, run to the cross of Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified and died for your sin. Friend, the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to pay for your sin. Somebody's done that for you. But it doesn't end there. The good news of the gospel, it provides a substitute for sin, but it proclaims the risen Christ. Look in verse four, it says, in that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It doesn't end at the cross, friend. It just really begins there. He, Jesus died in your place as your substitute. Yes, he died for your sin because of his great love for you. But if the gospel message stopped at the cross, the gospel would just be a sad story of the unnecessary murder of a, a Jewish carpenter. But the good news of the gospel does not leave Jesus Christ in a Middle Eastern tomb. The psalmist and the prophets foretold of what would take place. Psalm 16 says this, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Hosea prophesied, After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Jesus Christ, as he walked this earth, he, our substitute told his followers exactly what was going to happen. He said, then he took uh, unto him the 12 and said unto them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man shall be accomplished for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And just as it's been prophesied, just as Christ predicted himself, he died, he was buried. And on the third day, 
up from the grave, he arose. The Bible says when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And as we have just read moments ago, the ladies came to the tomb and the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus is declared to be the very son of God with power. Romans 1, 4 says, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. It is because of the resurrection of Christ, according to Romans 4, that we can be justified. What does that mean? That means we can be declared righteous before God. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Paul even explains, if you continue reading here, that the risen Christ was seen of over 500 people after his resurrection, testifying to the veracity of the claims of the disciples that Christ was, in fact, alive. Friend, the exclamation point on the good news of the gospel is the resurrection that Jesus is alive and he lives forevermore. It's on this very truth that the promise of salvation rests. The Romans 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you believe that Jesus Christ is in fact who he says he is, if you believe that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day, if you realize you are a sinner and you turn from your sin to the sinless one, Jesus Christ, you can be saved. And according to the next several verses, the truth of the resurrection of the dead, specifically the resurrection of Christ from the dead, it changes everything. In verses 12 through 19, Paul, he summarizes the troublesome state of those that claim Christ is alive if the resurrection of the dead isn't true. If I could summarize it, it would be to one sentence, it would be this. If Christ is not alive and if the resurrection is not true, there is no more miserable, pitiable group of people in all the world than Christians. If Jesus did not, in fact, rise from the dead, everything that's happened today is just a waste of time. The music has been pointless. The prayer and scripture reading unnecessary. Even this sermon has been nothing but a waste of hot air. Paul even says in verse 19, if the only hope we have in Christ is in this life, we are of all people in the entire world most miserable or most to be pitied. But Christ is risen. Christ is alive. Christ is, as verse 20 says, the first fruits from the dead. And by calling Christ that the first fruits of them that slept, Paul is indicating a great harvest that is yet to come of those that will rise with, to be with Christ on the last day. According to verse 22, in Adam, all die. This is the human condition. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered in, into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. Because of the sin of Adam, death passed upon all men. All those in Adam will die, yes, but all those in Christ will be made alive. Christ died, but Christ has defeated death. Hebrews 2 says this, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, 
in Christ, all those that have believed the gospel will be made alive, both spiritually and in the life to come. For the believer, death is no longer the dark, frightening corridor down which every human must eventually walk. It is the beginning of life forevermore. And it's only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel provides a substitute for sin and proclaims the risen Christ. To my brothers and sisters in the room today, rejoice. Hmm. To my brothers and sisters in the room today, rejoice. Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Rejoice knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that you have eternal life. And rejoice knowing that the same good news that rescued you from your sin is the same good news that keeps you and leads you on your road to being made more like Jesus. And to those of you who may not know Jesus Christ as your savior, the gospel is only good news for you if you believe it by faith. The gospel is not transferred by osmosis that you heard it today and that's enough. No, you have to believe it by faith. In Mark 1, we see Jesus preaching, repent ye and believe the gospel. And this is the same message to you today. Repent and believe the gospel. To repent means to change your mind. It means to see your sin for the wickedness that it is. It means to see yourself as a sinner. It means to change your mind about your sin and run to Jesus for rescue from your sin. It means to turn from sin in yourself and your self-reliance and turn to Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible makes it clear. If you understand and believe the truth of the gospel by faith, you will be saved. So no matter who you are or how long you've attended this church, because I can't just take for granted that if you're a member of Fellowship Baptist Church, that your sins have been forgiven and that you have eternal life. If you have not believed the gospel by faith, I invite you to do so today. The Bible says this, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is available to all those who come to God in simple faith, resting in his grace for salvation. John Bunyan, the Puritan author, he, he wrote the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. He addressed the objection that some people may have in their mind. The objection that says, well, you don't know me. You don't know the kind of person that I am. You don't know the kind of sinner that I am. Jesus would never take someone like me. John Bunyan says this, but I'm a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I'm a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. 
but I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ, but I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Friend, today, I, I don't know. I don't know where you'll spend eternity. I don't know the condition of your soul, but I know this. I know Jesus loves you. He died for you. We're here today because he is alive forevermore. If the resurrection isn't true, this doesn't matter. But because the resurrection is true, there is no more important place you could have been today than right here. So you're faced with the decision, Christ or self. Christ or my sin. And I invite you today, if you don't know Jesus, even if you have like the tiniest smidgen of doubt in your mind, come to Jesus today. No, you don't get it, man. Like, You've not seen the things I've done with my life. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He took one of the most heinous murderers in all of the world and made him write half of the New Testament. He'll take you today. The good news of the gospel is this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And he will never cast you out. Would you come to him today? What better way to mark Easter 2022 than trusting Christ to save your soul from sin? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.